once more onto the breach, dear friends. The word impossible is only in the dictionary of fools. If my descendants wish to be as strong as I was, they must study patience. The Ultra Working Podcast. All great events hang by your hair. The man of ability takes advantage of everything and neglects nothing that can give him a chance of success. Hello, I am Sebastian Marshall. I'm one of the co-founders here at Ultra Working. First, we're going to talk about a bunch of U.S. military stuff, and we're going to make it a bit of a puzzle. We're going to go through a bunch of military terms that the U.S. military has come up with in the last 50 years. Not too many, just a few. And let's see if you can figure out before I tell you why the military names stuff so awkwardly. We're starting with air land battle theory. Now, what might not come across on the audio is that air land is written as one word with the A and the L both capitalized. So it's capital A, I R, capital L, no space in between them, A N D, battle. Air land, one word, air land, capital A, capital L. That's kind of odd. Why did they do that? So, Airland Battle was the overall conceptual framework that formed the basis of the U.S. Army's European warfighting doctrine from 1982 into the late 1990s. Airland Battle emphasized close coordination between land forces acting as aggressively maneuvering defense and air forces attacking rear echelon forces feeding those frontline enemy forces. Airland Battle replaced the 1976's active defense doctrine and it was itself replaced by the modern quote-unquote full-spectrum operations. So something that somebody that is not at all uh, involved in the military world might not realize that some terms are well-known and well-understood, and they're basically common language, like the word blitzkrieg. We all know what that means. Uh, the term combined arms, meaning, you know, your artillery and your cavalry and frontline and, you know, and, and rear soldiers and reserves and uh, air power later when that comes and sea and everything working together. These are like well-known terms. And I'm a civilian that's just an enthusiast military historian, but I know all these terms. These are these are not odd terms. They're not unusual. But air land, one word, capital L, is unusual. That is not a term that anyone recognized that wasn't involved in it. Why do they call it that? So the backstory and the creation of it's kind of interesting. We'll link the Wikipedia that I just quoted from in the show notes. But, you know, it was the theory about like, okay, if the Warsaw Pact, if the Soviet Union invades Western Europe, what are we going to do? They've got a ton more troops than us um, in that area if we're NATO. And so what do we do? Maybe it even won't go nuclear because, you know, kind of nobody really wants that. And smart weapons have gotten a lot smarter, you know, like guided missiles and such. So like maybe we can fight it off and what are we going to do? And the answer was air land of battle theory. And so it was four things that are all like kind of plain English things to understand rolled together. It was a counter blitz. So that was like, instead of standing still and trying to break the blitzkrieg, you're like, all right, well, well, let's go out to meet them and mess them up and let's go fast and counter blitz them back. Um, it was combined arms, which as mentioned is a pretty standard military. That's like military stuff. 101 is like, get everybody on your team working together. Um, smart weapons, kind of, they're just what they sound like. That's a pretty descriptive term. Um, and then, okay. And then we're going to stop them from getting the reserves up because they have a lot of people and a lot of tanks, and we don't want all those tanks to keep coming to the front, so we're gonna like stop that from happening. So we'll have like the Air Force bomb 
well behind the initial battle to just hopefully stop those people from bringing all those troops up and, and, and then we're outnumbered really badly. So it's like four things that are like pretty easy to understand. That's my understanding of it as a layman and a civilian. And uh, I think that's pretty much, like, I think that's the gist of it, right? And the general that was involved in, in working out this doctrine, General, uh, De, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, General Depoy, quoting Wikipedia again, you know, in Depoy's view, firepower had increased so much that the war would be won or lost almost immediately in the first few massive battles. As Field Manual 100-5 noted, quote, the U.S. Army must above all else prepare to win the first battle of the next war, end quote. So it's like, okay, first battle is really important. Counter blitz, combined arms, smart weapons, stop them from bringing reserves up. Why do they call it the really awkward phrase air-land battle? Um, that's the puzzle. We're going to throw out a few more of these phrases. Then goes on to Wikipedia's a wealth of stuff. Um, Airland battle became the primary battle plan of U.S. NATO forces in 1984. Its rollout required upgrades to the C-3I equipment of all branches of the military, along with similar changes in the command and control structures to take advantage of the massive amounts of information the new C-3I assets would be generating. Huh, what's this C-3I? Sounds like another one of those awkward military acronyms. Command, Control, Communications, and Intelligence. Okay, that's what C-3I is. But eventually, it was replaced. Today, the Pentagon embraces a new doctrine, network-centric warfare, made possible by the digital revolution. Digital revolution is, of course, capitalized in this particular Wikipedia article. Okay, so what is this? Well, you click that, network-centric, and, uh, and then that links to full-spectrum dominance. Full-spectrum dominance, also known as full-spectrum superiority, is a military entity's achievement of control over all dimensions of the battle space, effectively possessing an overwhelming diversity of resources in such areas as terrestrial, aerial, maritime, subterranean, extraterrestrial, psychological, and bio- and or cyber-technological warfare. All right. And I see the word battle space, and before I even clicked on it to double-check, I'm like, U.S. military totally came up with that. That wasn't it. That, that hasn't been floating around. They came up with battle space. Let's indulge in a little battle space for a moment. Battle space is a term used to signify a unified military strategy to integrate and combine armed forces for the military theater of operations, including air, information, land, sea, cyber, and space to achieve military goals. It goes on for a while and says the concept is from battlefield to battle space. All right, so we got battle space. We got metric-centric warfare and full-spectrum dominance which are like uh, have all of our stuff talk to each other using computers and GPS systems and similar. You know, we don't need to use the telegram to cable Washington anymore to let them know how the war is going. Um, okay, so like, I mean, can't we use plain English words for these? This is like military with a lot of computers and stuff talking to each other. No, I've got one more just in case you're not totally convinced. Mindfulness-based mind fitness training, MMFT. Yep, can't make it up. So military, you don't practice mindfulness. You do mindfulness-based mind fitness training. Like, isn't it a little redundant to say mindfulness-based mind, you know, right, mind training? Like, I mean, it's, it's a little implied the word mind. No? Oh, okay. Well, there's a great criticism of that, by the way, in a, by a Buddhist practitioner, the militarization of mindfulness. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I mean, they're saying it too, mindfulness-based mind fitness training for the military, but I mean, yeah, okay, fair enough. So why is the military creating all these acronyms? Have you figured it out yet? I'll pose it to you as a puzzle. Why are they calling it Airland Battle Theory? One word, A is capitalized, L is capitalized, capital A, I-R, capital L, A-N-D, battle, Airland Battle. 
Why? What do they want and what do they don't want? Well, let me tell you what they don't want. If they said to everybody that was in the military in re if the Soviet Union invades in the 1980s, Western Europe, if they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Counter blitz, combined arms, smart weapons, stop the reserves from being brought up and win the first battles, especially because that's really important. Everybody be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I already know that. I don't need to study this thing. Right? So people, anybody in the military, certainly any military officer, don't know what a counter blitz is, know what a combined arms is, you know, smart weapons. They've probably been very well aware of by that point. Um, and yeah, okay, don't bring the reserves up. Got it. I'm good. But there's probably a bunch of nuances in very specific ways that you wanted everyone, a lot of different people, including people that speak different languages um, natively in, in NATO, you know, right? So you have, you know, all the Western European countries that are members of NATO, you know, English wasn't all their first language. And then you had the various, uh, you know, U.S. military forces and, and embedded, you know, some of them embedded and some of them, you know, full forces on, uh, you know, American maintained bases in those countries. You need everybody to sing from the same song sheet. So if you say counter blitz, right, there's a lot of different ways to do that that is that are trying to do different things. And that are trying all of that's like, okay, instead of standing still while the blitzkrieg comes and trying to weather it, like we're gonna go out and meet them. And you know, they're gonna try to generate chaos for us. Well, let's do it right back to them. Let's blitz their blitz, right? Two can play at this game. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. So when you call it airland battle theory, and airland is one word, it's not a dash, it's not a slash, it's airland, one word. It's like, oh, what the heck is this thing that the general is saying we need to do? I better read it and figure out what it is. And there you go. That alone might be worth naming things weird. If they had just said, you know, military with more computers or like knowing all the locations and coordinating them better. People are like, yeah, I think we got enough of it. But if it's like the full spectrum dominance network centric warfare that, you know, right. And all of that, then it's kind of like, okay, well, we need to think about some things that maybe we don't want to think about. Right. I would imagine, I would suspect, I haven't checked or read on this, but I would think it's a virtual certainty that probably the current doctrine includes some consideration of the use of social media, both for uh, potentially spreading information intentionally or not about troop movements, as well as the general sentiment of population uh, everywhere in a theater of operations or outside of it, um, in your home country and allied countries and in unfriendly countries and monitoring that and, you know, potentially paying attention to it and doing something about it. So, you know, very, very possible that a local commander is like, okay, yeah, network centric, full spectrum, got it, I'm on it. Um, if it was defined in more normal terms or like take care of everything in the battlefield or everything related to the battlefield, fine. But social media is not my job. Like I don't care what people are saying on Twitter. I've like got people shooting at my guys. Like we're going to like shoot them back. And like, that's what my job is. Um, obviously an officer wouldn't talk like that, but you know, people could be thinking something along those lines. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got it. But you know, you tell them, okay, we're doing network centric, full spectrum information, you know, right. You, you give these big long terms and people are like, I guess I better read that. And then over and over and over again, it'll be said like, okay, air land battle means counter blitz with these parameters, stop the reserves from being brought up with these parameters, coordinating this way and using these weapons, using these C3I weapons, C3I integrated components in the weapons. Um, then people are like, okay, well, that's just what we're going to do then, I guess. So we're going to run air land battle. And of course they have the advantage that they're the military. So they can be like, and here's the plan and you will run it. And people are like, oh, well, okay. Right. Um, 
ideally it's a good plan and and, and and we actually read up on it in airland battle and like it looks sound i'm just wondering why it's named so awkwardly and i think the answer um is that when you name things like that it stops people from going yeah 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 i already know that right so people will bring their own associations to any word that they've heard before and that they think they understand if you said we're going to do mindfulness in the military people are like oh okay cool so like for some people mindfulness might be like oh, okay i'm gonna like you know, go with it and do it this way because that's what I'm feeling. It's like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about mind fitness training. We're specifically conditioning your mind to be stronger, more resilient. This is exactly what mindfulness-based mind fitness training means. MMFT means this. Why do we know? Because we defined it. We named it. We created that term. It's exactly this. It's no more and no less, um, which is good. So I think you should think about doing this um, on your own teams, even in collaborations if you have a long-running intellectual collaboration with even one other person, you can create your own kind of lexicon and it will sound totally silly to outsiders. Um, some of ours at ultra working probably sound silly when you get dropped into them, but I think they're pretty good. So first off, some guidance on, on if you name things, you know, how and what you should name them. So if you're doing anything, if you're having a recurring meeting, most people call it like the marketing meeting or something, no good, right? You want to call it like the, like designing future marketing meeting. Like you can see how you're gonna have a better meeting if you call it that, or you can call it like the review and polish everything meeting or whatever, right? If you name things better, people will have a different orientation towards them. They'll take them more seriously. Um, and I, I think the sweet spot is three things. The first one is you want it to be evocative and salient, right? So whenever you name something just generic, the plan, the battle plan for Europe, the plan in case of invasion, then it's just like, okay, whatever, it's a plan. I don't need to pay a lot of attention to it. It doesn't get any curiosity going. It's not evocative. It's not interesting. As awkward as some of those acronyms are, that might even be intentional. They certainly could name things like plan for 1982 onwards. Like they know that airland, one word, capital L is an awkward word. I don't know if that's two words, one word, two words. The, air, the word airland, word or words, airland is awkward. They know. Um, I, yeah, and they, I mean, they must know, right? But they didn't call it Plan for Europe 1982 onwards, right? So it's like, huh, it's evocative. It's interesting. Um, it's like, I, I probably should look into that. What's Airland with one word? What they cook up? The second thing is you want to have the right associations and feel, et cetera. And I bet they struggled mightily with mindfulness-based mind fitness training, MMFT. Like I would almost guarantee that they had some serious whiteboarding and PowerPointing and uh, debating over what they would call that. And you know, somebody was like mindfulness for active duty well-being, we'll call it, you know, M-V-F-A-W-B or whatever. They, they must have debated many different formulations. And you know, somebody must have been like, okay, we got to make this secular and this doesn't mean do whatever the heck you want. We just want you to like be a little bit more composed and be less likely to have stress get you down. That's what we want. And we don't want you know, you to be bringing something to it other than what it is. This isn't like, you know, being mindful of doing whatever the heck you want to do. We're still a military, like you got a job, please do it um, now. So you have the right associations. This can make it more expansive. And that's, again, you know, if you ever call it the ops meeting or the customer service meeting, it's like, eh, but if you call it the like celebrate customer wins and ensure more of them meeting, Okay, it's a little long, it's a little tacky, but you could see if you make that evocative, you could use metaphors or something, you know, you could call it the Palace of Versailles meeting or something, 
if you wanted to to really crank up the salience and have evocative things on it. I think this is an underutilized and powerful thing, as awkward as it is to outsiders to a particular discipline to sometimes hear these terms. And the final thing is you want no smuggling in dumb ways of doing things. Um, obviously, uh, mindfulness has a ton of associations. You don't want people to smuggle in their own impressions of what they thought of a thing. Or maybe somebody tried mindfulness and it didn't work for them. It's like, oh, mindfulness, that's like we're chanting. No, we're doing mind- mindfulness-based mind fitness training. Oh, is that like mindfulness? No, it's mindfulness-based based mind fitness training. So you can see how that kind of like cuts off the smuggling in of assumptions. Uh, one assumption that a lot of people have about customer service is that it's like lame. It's a bad job. It's not where the A players on the team go to work right? We don't call it customer service for that reason. Like over here at Ultraworking, the whole department that would be customer service, customer success, and a variety of what would be under operations um, is called our engagement department, aka the department of customer winning. Like that's your job, make customers win, have them keep winning, have them be very happy here, and have them tell their friends so their friends can get in on all this winning. So I'm going to throw out some some ways to to get your mind around it. And you can do this both for like names of groups or names of meetings. You can also do this for concepts that you want people to relate to the concept differently. I know that's necessarily abstract, but I'll give you some examples. So so first off, you can use underused words. You can use semi-technical terms. Uh, Louis Pulsifer was a game designer. He talked about classical and romantic play. Um, classical play takes maximizes the minimum gain and romantic play um, attempts to get the maximum gain at the extreme ends of the spectrum. Um, so it's a way that people play games, but it's also a way that people live life. So you can take obscure or underused words. Um, so that's pretty big. Um, you can use metaphors. So you start with the hard one, obscure stuff. Um, by definition, it's obscure, but metaphors are good. Uh, so every two months uh, we do a planning and debrief cycle. We do the six week on um, Two, six weeks on a plan, two weeks to consolidate cycles, kind of been commonly adopted. So every two months we, uh, we set a new thing and, and we have a theme company wide for every one of those six, six week cycles, um, that you don't have to do exactly what the theme of it is, but it's like, so we're all pulling in the same direction, right? So this might be the, like, let's all do a lot of growth related stuff, or it might be like, Hey, let's get all really dialed in on processes. This could be like, Hey, Here's what we're going to be doing company-wide to support you learning and building your skills and whatever else. So you kind of know that everybody's working on, or at least has the option to work on these things at the same time, um, useful for coordination. So we do that, and we have a meeting where we discuss that. We have some very interactive stuff where people do, like like kind of create some stuff for people to interact with and kind of flesh out their own thoughts on the topic and build out some plans and stuff. And it's pretty cool. It's a lovely meeting. But I think the reason it's a great meeting is partially attributed to the name that Kai gave it, which is a lighthouse Lighthouse, we do those every two months. We didn't call it a lighthouse if it was like the company-wide focus of improvement meeting. Like that would be lame, but we call it a lighthouse meeting and it's cool. Obviously, you can use acronyms. So Kai and I have a culture file that we just store observations in. We thought about it and like thread to dump culture stuff in um, would get forgotten very quickly and buried in Google Drive. So we called it hazmat. And then Kai and I can say to each other, hey, yeah, make sure to hazmat that. So we have a variety of other acronyms like that. So all of these things can be used, and you can get even more metaphorical, right? And you can see that, you know, if you called your uh, internal demos thread, if you called this, like, the royal court, you would get a way different manner of speaking from people, a way different level of polish and expectation than if you called it the mess hall, right? Just radically different. And this will shape people's behavior more than people realize, like, a lot, 
I encourage you to do this, but I encourage you to do this carefully. So here's a couple of things to avoid if you want to name your meetings, your concepts, your departments and stuff more interestingly. So the first thing is you should avoid being boring and not salient unless you want it to be boring and salient. You want to avoid being boring unless your thing is around like something super sensitive, in which case you probably think it through and make it boring and factual, right? So think that through. And related to that is uh, you want to avoid being tacky. Tacky is one of those, like, what the judge say? Can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Um, tacky is one of those things that you kind of know when you see it. But one, two quick tests for that is get a friend, right, um, and just run stuff by them. But second, there's some great guidance um, from a wonderful book from, like, 1,500 years ago, On the Sublime by uh, Caius Longinus, I believe, Um Great book. He said, you know, Sublime is describing the beautiful and the epic and whatever. And he says, anything, if it gets worse, he's talking about writing in this, but he said, if anything gets worse on each subsequent reading, it's not Sublime. It, it, it makes sense to kind of prototype this a couple of times, just say it jokingly, like, and here's the Roman Senate is now in session. Just throw it out as a joke a couple of times um, at your, you know, your club meeting or whatever, and see if it's like not funny the third time. If it is, don't do it. If it catches on and people dig it, then it might be good. So you don't want to like commit to it and name things awkwardly immediately. The military is to some extent forced to do that when they formulate new doctrine and promulgate it, though I've also read that they've attempted to test a lot more. Um, also be careful if you're young about making things too quote unquote badass, um, you know, like the ultimate meeting for the destruction of problems or something. Uh, I don't know why, but that's the kind of thing that sounds cool when you're like 20 and like stop sounding cool when you're 30. And if you're successful in whatever you're doing, 30 plus year olds all the way up to you know, elderly people will want to help you who have a lot of experience. And you're like, do you want to come to the destruction of problems meeting? And I'm like, well, what, what, what is, what am I getting myself into here? What is, what exactly is this? Um, you got to be super careful about the ability for people to smuggle in BS and you got to really kind of red team this. You got to think critically, right? So obviously the military was really super careful about having mindfulness be like, here's exactly what we want from mindfulness. Right. Um, and, and this is the reason, coming back to it, why, why I believe the military um, codifies and, and names things so specifically instead of referencing well-used terms or naming things generically. It's so that people don't bring their own assumptions to it and not listen to what the actual specific technical points are um, that, that's the goal to be oriented. Now, that's my own assessment, by the way. I might be mistaken, but I, I would think that's at least a large component of that. So if you take something that somebody's never heard, be careful that people don't bring their associations um, that already exists with things and kind of red team against that. Um, and then on the positive side, what you look for are things that are going to set a feeling, they're going to be really evocative, and they'll suggest to people how they should interact with that department, that type of meeting, that type of concept. So you can kind of shape, okay, if, if like our demos are like the Globe Theater, that was Shakespeare's, versus like the Royal Court versus the Palace of Versailles, um, you know, versus like the Street Theater or, you know, the Mess Hall or you know, the campgrounds, you know, you could see how if you called some project planning, expedition planning, that would, you know, work very differently and have a very different feel to it with like critical defensive planning measures. I, and I don't want to overstate it. It shapes behavior quite a little bit, but very cheaply. So give some thoughts to how you're naming departments, how you're naming meetings, how you're naming even concepts around discussions, 
So give some thoughts to it. Our words shape our thinking tremendously. Our communication relies heavily on words, obviously. And with slightly better naming conventions, carefully thought through, it's not like a do it in five minutes thing. It's like a give it an hour or two, um, can really shape behavior norms and lead to some great results very inexpensively. So wherever in the world you are, I hope you're having a mindfulness-based fit mind network-centric total superiority over all elements in your life that you want to have running well going on. Thanks for joining me today. Until next time, good luck and Godspeed.